my name's Gary. My name's Simon. And this is episode 7 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On our podcast today, we'll be talking about physically charging your EV. We'll discuss the cables, the chargers, AC versus DC chargers, destination chargers, rapids, battery degradation, everything you need to know. But before we started, I want to ask you, Simon, did you see the new Renault Zoe? The specs were released a little while back. What do you think? I thought it was quite good. Um, certainly, they haven't gone in the way of changing the design too much, which I don't actually mind. Um, I, I, it did need a slight facelift. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they could have probably um, done some more details around it. The inside looks a lot nicer. Um, but I, I, I've been told by the Zebrano Zoe Club that I, I can play. Has it got rear back seats? You know, like in terms of the split back seats? Yes, yes. That's all been resolved in later models and that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's got a 55 kilowatt hour battery, which is up from the, I think it was 43 um, before. And it says a 220-ish mile range, which if, you know, if it's, if that's what they're releasing as 220, you probably couldn't expect, I would say. 180 190 i would say but 50 kilowatt ccs charging now ccs charging itself really good idea because that's becoming the standard and you know obviously delivers a lot of what ccs and dc uh charging does now all the new dc chargers have ccs as a as almost a standard if you look at iront it's only ccs but 50 kilowatts seems seems low for a new car now yeah i i agree i mean given that you know the way things are going 350 kilowatts is going to be something that's available within i don't know 12 18 months it seems yeah a bit remiss to say we're going to cap it off at 50 kilowatts i don't know whether that would have been because of a cost in some ways but i can't see that actual charging speed being a cost breaker on something like that you know it's still i believe sub twenty thousand. For the car, which you know, obviously, like the the current series, the current series are, are really cheap. Yeah, I, it just seemed I would have thought a hundred at the very minimum. I, I would I would suggest any car, certainly any car that I buy next, I would expect to have at least a hundred because, like I said, the charging speeds are just getting more and more. So why would you not want to take advantage of that? I think there's a lot of new tech inside as well. I like the screen that's in there. I yeah. like the user interface. I think it's a lot nicer than the existing one, but. As you and I know, there are people who have Renault Zoe's and they're, you know, they love them. They absolutely adore yeah. them. And I think this this is a perfect market for those uh, those people. They're, they'll buy it by the shed load. I was going to buy a, a Zoe before my i3. The only two things, in all honesty, that put me off at the time, I mean, we're talking this car was, I think I was looking, it was about 14,000. So, you know, about 10 grand cheaper than my car. But the only thing that put me off was split rear seats. The particular model that I was looking at didn't have it. And it was only until the later models that that came in. Uh, the charging was quite slow. And even in the, you know, even the fast charging was was a lot slower than what my i3 was. So it just didn't work for me. Other than that, I think the cars are great. Like you said, there's a there's a, a big following for the Zoe's and, and they will sell. And as long as they keep them cheap, they will sell. I just think it's a bit of a missed opportunity with the, uh, the speed of charging. Our feature topic today is all about physically charging your EV, the what's, the how's and the why's. But before we start, I want to set the scene. You've just got your EV. The dealer didn't have a great deal of information about it because dealers tend not to at the moment, especially the mainstream ones. And now you're stuck wanting to know about charging this fabulous vehicle that you've just purchased. 
it can be confusing. There will be questions. Which cable do I use? Can I charge at home? What's a destination charger? What are rapid chargers? How do I use them? Questions like that. We'll cover all these over the next few minutes, but let me start by giving you a simple framing concept that should help everyone as we go forward. We call it the sports stadium analogy. So let's imagine your car battery is a sports stadium. Wembley, Old Trafford, Lords, Twickenham, doesn't really matter which one or what sport is played there. It can seat a certain number of supporters. This might be 24,000, 30,000, 40,000, 64,000, 75,000 or higher. But regardless of the actual number, when every available seat is occupied, it's at 100% capacity. Now, let's imagine the electricity to charge your battery is a whole load of supporters streaming into that entrance. They may be home supporters or away supporters, but they all need to come to, into the stadium and sit down. The stadium main entrance is your car's charge port, so just keep that in mind. In order to get into the stadium, they have to go through the entrance and then pass a security turnstile. This stadium has security that always ask questions when they let people in. The security guys all speak English. In order to pass security, you have to show some form of payment and answer and say three questions. Now, remember that analogy because we're going to use it to explain electric car charging. First of all, before we talk about charging an EV, let me ask you a question, Simon. Are you like everybody else in the world who charges his phone once a week at a specific phone charging station using overpriced charge juice, but <laughs> getting it done in a few minutes? Uh, no, I, I don't charge my phone like I refueled my old Nissan Qashqai. I charge my phone overnight and whenever I have access to a plug. And is this how you charge your i3? Uh, yes, whenever I have access to a plug of some sort, work, shopping, a rapid charger. Interesting. So you say you don't charge your phone under the ICE model, nor do you charge your EV under the ICE model. That's correct. The ICE model of only refilling irregularly at set locations with fossil fuels doesn't come into play when I charge my phone or my car. Which brings us very nicely onto our first point about charging. It's a different model to filling a fossil fuel vehicle. All those people who go on about, I need to be able to refill in four minutes and do 600 miles, are completely missing the point. You don't charge your phone like that, and you'd be livid if you had to, and you don't charge your EV like that. Simon, you talked about charging at work or when shopping, so let's go into detail about how this works. Basically, there are two sorts of charging, and I put sorts in quotation marks there. These can be referred to as home charging and, let's say, away charging. Home charging is either through a granny charger or an installed home charger unit. A home charger unit can be installed with an OLEV grant, which is the Office for Low Emission Vehicles set up by the government to encourage the uptake of EVs in this country. And it should cost around about £200 after the grant has been applied. It supplies AC power to your car from your home electric supply, and we'll talk about AC and DC in a minute. And these chargers are usually fitted to the wall of your house, either inside the garage if you have one, or on a nearby wall. Some of them have a permanent cable attached to them, which you can plug into your car. Some of them need you to use the cable that came with your car and connect that instead. A granny charger uses a free pin plug in the wall to supply AC power to your car. All EVs come with a granny charger. It has a normal household three-pin plug on one end, a Type 2 connector usually at the other end, and a box in the middle that holds some circuitry to control the charge. There might be lights on there to indicate what's happening, 
That's all the granny charger is really, a means of using the household plug to charge your EV. The main reason we don't all charge using granny charger is that it's got limited speed. Now if we go into our sports stadium analogy, think of a granny charger as being a single security guy who can deal with letting one person at once into the stadium. He's eventually going to fill the stadium up, but it's going to take some time, especially if he's starting with a completely empty stadium. Now if you think of your home charger unit as two or three security guys who can deal with two or three people at once, it's definitely quicker than your single security guy, but it's not exactly hugely quick. It might take four or five hours to fill the stadium. And that's home charging. It's not particularly complicated. Now let's talk about away charging. Charging away from home has two types, rapid and fast. The key difference is easy to spot. Does the charger have a cable attached to it for you to use? If the answer is yes, it's a rapid charger. If the answer is no, it's a fast charger. Although this name is misleading, it should be called a not quite as slow charger. Fast chargers are usually found in car parks, shopping centers, garden centers, pubs of, uh, and such. They're also known as destination chargers. The idea is that you bring your own cable, plug in while you eat or shop or watch a movie, and use the charge you receive to get home. You'll also hear these referred to as type 2 chargers. This refers to the actual connector at the end of the charging cable. If it looks like a big circle with the top section flattened down, it's probably a type 2 or a Menekes connector. Costs can range from free to not quite free. Podpoint chargers, for example, are free as are Ecotricity for their Type 2 chargers. But companies such as Beefy Charge Master, who run the Polar Network, charge as much as £1.50 per hour with a £1.20 connection fee on Polar Instant and 11p per kilowatt hour for Polar Plus. We'll talk about these different networks in a minute. But let's talk about AC versus DC charging at the moment. This can get quite complicated for non-technical people, but it's best just to think of this as a language issue. English and Spanish, for example. All EV car batteries use and store DC electricity. So let's say they speak English. All rapid chargers supply DC, so they also speak English. When you connect a rapid charger to a car, they could speak in the same language and everything gets done quickly. This is why rapids are so much quicker to charge a car. Non-rapid chargers, such as the granny charger or the 7 kilowatt post down at your local Aldi, run on AC and they don't speak English. They speak Spanish or French or Ozi. So in order for them to work with your English-speaking car battery, you need a translator. And this translator is your car's onboard charger, or specifically the converter on the charger. The onboard charger can take the Spanish or the French or Ozi that's been provided by the post, and translate that, but it can't do that quickly. Depending on what car you have, it will translate at 3 kilowatts or 6.6 kilowatts or 11 kilowatts, the exception being the first generation Renault Zoids because they translated up to 43 kilowatts, which makes them rapid. You'll also hear chargers described as 22 kilowatts, and this is the theoretical maximum amount of speed the charger can deliver. But remember, your car can only accept the maximum that your charger can process. In other words, if you plug into a 22 kilowatt charger with a car that has a 6.6 kilowatt onboard charger, the maximum you'll get is 6.6 kilowatts. This is why destination charging or home charging 
isn't as quick as rapid charging. We're going to go to our sports stadium analogy. This means that if you're charging on DC, all the supporters enter the stadium are English speaking. Security asks them questions in English, they answer in English, and they go through very quickly. But for AC, the supporters are all Spanish. Security asks in English, and a translator is needed to speak Spanish and translate the answers. This takes a lot longer, so fewer people go through security in a given period of time. The translator in this case is the onboard charger on your car. There's only so many people the translator can help in any given time. For 22 kilowatt charging, imagine you have a coach load of away supporters coming into the stadium. The coach they arrive on may hold 22 at a time, but your poor security guards can only process 6.6 of them in any given period because of how long it takes to translate their requests. The rest will just have to wait. This is why AC charging is generally slower than DC charging. So let's move on to DC rapid charging. This is usually used to top the battery up quickly and allow you to go on your way with a minimum of delay. It happens at the big chargers with the cables already attached to them. The reason they already have the cables attached is that they use lots of power and your normal cable will melt under that load. For the really fast chargers or HPC, high power chargers like the Ionity ones that can go up to 350 kilowatts, they have liquid cooling running through them to cool them down. Rapid charging tends to be used to fill your battery to about 80% because it takes a long time to fill that last 20%. To explain why this happens, let's go back to our sports stadium. When you first open the gates and everyone streams in, there are empty seats everywhere. It's really easy to fill the first 30 or even 40% of the seats. As more and more people come in, they take longer to find seats. After all, it's easy to choose one seat amongst 30,000. There are only 1,000 occupied, right? But it's a lot harder to find and get one empty seat amongst 30,000 if 29,000 are occupied. By the time 80% of the seats are full, it's a lot harder to find your way to an empty seat than when the stadium was 80% empty. It's the same with charging. When you start to charge, it's quick to get the first chunk of charge in. But by the time it gets to 80% full, your battery is like the last people coming in to find their seats. It's a lot slower. That's why fast charging usually only goes to 80% but not always. Technically, the issue is a lot more complex than it relates to software managing the battery and ensuring it isn't damaged by charging. And that's one reason mobile phone batteries don't last long. They don't have this software managing them and they let charge in too quickly. It's like rival supporters attacking the stands and ripping out the seats. <laughs> Over time, your seating capacity gets smaller and smaller. This is battery degradation, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So let's move on to actually getting that charge into your car. Let's talk about payment. You'll need cards or accounts or RFID fobs to actually pay for the charge you're taking on board. From our sports stadium analogy, think of this as how you pay for your ticket. Sometimes the security insists that you pay for your ticket using a specific app. If you don't have that app, you can't come in. Imagine if Arsenal or Spurs only accepted payment via an app they've created. Or Lords wouldn't allow you in unless you paid via their app. It's the same thing. Sometimes you need to waive a specific RFID card or FORB. Again, if you don't have the correct one, you can't come in. Simon, remember when Marks & Spencers didn't accept credit cards and the only non-cash way you could pay was with the M&S store card? That's exactly the same as what's happening yeah. here. Sometimes security let you pay with a contactless card. Any card will do, just wave it and go. It's the same with charges. In practice, every charge operator has their own way of dealing with payment. 
Some, like Ingenie and Instavault, allow you to pay with any payment card, swipe and go. Some, like Ecotricity, Shell, Smooth and Podpoint, require an app where you provide a linked payment method. In other words, you set this up beforehand, usually on the web, and you add your payment card details in there. Some, like Polar Plus and CYC Charger Car, have an RFID fob or card linked to an account. They bill you monthly based on your usage. The key is to know which one of these is which and to have the right one prepared in advance. So let's talk about the mechanics of home charging. Um, you don't need to charge your car to 100% every day, unless of course you do. 100% is not ideal for the battery unless you absolutely need it. Many people with EVs only charge at home a couple of times per week. Obviously, if you have long commute every day, charging to 100% because you need to is fine. Charging to 100% every day and leaving it there, i.e. not using the charge, will degrade your battery. But, as we mentioned in our podcast last week on range anxiety, do what you need to do to match your needs. Most EVs have a charge timer built into them. This allows you to plug the car in, but only charge for the few hours a night when you really need to, to take advantage, for example, of cheap rate electric supply. Due to demand issues, there's always more electricity produced in the evening and overnight, and rather than not produce it and shut down power plants, the electric companies sell this off really cheaply. In certain places and for certain tariffs, the electric company will actually pay you to charge, which is a win-win situation. So set your vehicle charger to take advantage of that if needed. And if you've got solar panels at home, um, obviously it makes it more sense to either charge during the day when the sun's shining or to take solar power stored in batteries at home and charge overnight. My Energy UK make a home charger unit called a Zappi that can handle all this automatically if you have wind or solar. Effectively, it allows you to charge your car for free from the sun. I want to finish this segment by talking about battery degradation. We all know what battery deg is because we all have mobile phones. After a couple of years of use, the capacity of the battery reduces. It doesn't take as long to charge and it discharges quicker. Whereas once it took the whole day of constant Instagram tweeting and Snapchatting to drain it, now it needs a recharge somewhere before you get to your mid-afternoon Starbucks. The reason for this is that the constant charging and discharging wears the battery down. My phone at the moment, three years old, is down to 87% capacity. But remember what we said earlier. EVs have software in them to manage this far more effectively than phones, which is why they last longer than mobile phone batteries and don't need replacing after three years. So if we go back to our sports stadium analysis, imagine that every time supporters file into the stadium, they brush against the seats. Maybe the seats right on the aisles also have problems with the hinges as people need to stand up and let people pass more frequently. Maybe one or two of them climb over the backs to get where they want to sit. Over time, those seats stop working correctly, or they break, or they get ripped out. What this does is reduce the effective capacity of your stadium. Whereas once you used to be able to see 33,000, you might only be able to see 31,000. But remember what we said right at the top, when every seat in your stadium is full, you're at 100% capacity. If you fill 33,000 out of 33,000, you're at 100% capacity. If you fill at 31,000 out of 31,000, you are at 100% capacity. But obviously the number of supports you can fit in is smaller if you've only got 31,000 seats instead of 33,000. This is where we come to state of health of the battery. State of health is a measure of degradation of the battery. Even though your battery fills to 100%, it may only be at 97% state of health. 
This means that 3% of the seats in your stadium no longer work. Degradation is perfectly normal. It's a thing. Batteries will degrade over their lifetime. This is why places like CNC Taxis in Cornwall have cars with 170,000 miles on their clocks and batteries with states of health down around 80-85%. They sell the cars to be used, for example, in vehicle-to-grid testing or in home storage. The batteries are still perfectly usable. And this lays to bed the myth that batteries only last three years and then need to be replaced at great expense. We covered this detail in episode one where we discussed EV myths, but recently, for example, Nissan have confirmed that their batteries will outlast the cars by something like 10 years. VW have guaranteed their batteries for 10 years in their new upcoming range of EVs, and they'll all be repurposed for second use, such as solar power battery storage. So, to summarise, Charging your EV can seem a little daunting at first, especially if your dealer didn't take the time to show you all the little ins and outs. So many cables and connectors, slow chargers, fast chargers, rapid chargers, HPC chargers, it can all seem overwhelming. But all you really need to understand is that, at a basic level, if you have to supply a cable for a charge, it will be a slowish charge using AC. Whereas if you use a charger with an inbuilt cable, it'll generally be a rapid charger on DC. If you're ever at a loss, just remember the sports stadium analogy to work out whether you're using AC, DC, an app, a payment card, a rapid or a slow charger. It's easy. If you have any questions or comments, let us know and we'll answer them in a future episode. So let's wrap it up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing you've come across that we can share with our listeners. Here's mine, the Tesla pickup truck. If you haven't seen this already, we'll put the YouTube link. And so it's a girl called Simone Geertz. She's basically bought a brand new Model 3. Now, that's just everyone that's listened to this. Let that sink in for a minute. People in the UK that have been waiting two to three years for a Model 3. Before I go on, just bear that in mind. She took it into a workshop and literally hacked it to pieces. She removed the rear window doors and boot and replaced it all with a truck bed. I watched this. Um, I think you've watched it as, as, as well, Gary. And all, all I can say is when um, when I saw that Model 3, I, I, I was really happy. And, you know, it's nice and shiny like we saw in Brent Cross. And then when she got out the angle grinder and ripped the back of the car off, I had a tear in my eye. I'm not going to lie. Well, looking at looking at the um, the YouTube channel that's got millions of uh, of views, there is ten thousand down, sort of thumbs down, and I can only think that they are ten thousand Tesla or Model Three pre order owners that just didn't like somebody cutting up a car that they don't own yet. And and I'm, I must say, I mean, whilst the the pickup truck looks it, it, it looks practical, it looks horrible. I don't like it. it just I, I, it doesn't look right. It to me, I I think. I understand the concept of it and that she didn't want to wait for Tesla's pickup truck, which is never going to be look amazing when it comes out. But I just, uh, yeah, I, all I see is, you know, the Model 3 and, and then I think back of what she's done to the back of the car. and It works, it does the job, but it certainly, you know, does what she says it was going to do. But yeah, I, I don't know whether I could be so... Uh, so heartless on the Tesla. My cool thing is the Tesla ludicrous mode videos. When we were at uh, Fully Charged Live a couple of weeks back, the transfers between the car park and the show were via members of the Tesla Owners Club. One of the things they like to do with their Teslas is show off a launch. And this basically means they switch their car either into ludicrous 
or insane mode, depending which version of the car you have, and floor it. In a P100D Ludicrous, the acceleration is 0-60 in 2.5 seconds. In the insane mode, it's a far more sedate 2.9 seconds. I believe we both had a launch in our respective rides, and it was, for me, it's unlike anything I've experienced before. So I went onto YouTube to have a look and see what's out there. I'm adding some links below to people who've used Ludicrous or Insane Mode and videoed themselves. It's well worth five minutes of your time to check them out, especially James May from Top Gear doing it for the first time. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. Don't forget, if you've got any thoughts or comments, you can tweet us at MusingsEV with questions for future shows. If you want to contact us individually, Simon is at The EV Side on Twitter and YouTube. And I'm the real Gary C on Twitter. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved and helps us know we're not just shouting into the void here. Thanks for listening. Bye.